right, welcome to episode 28 of the Multifarious Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in with us today. We hope you guys are enjoying the content that we're putting out. Today's guest is repeat guest Dan Casson of Casson Strength and Fitness. We have a great episode for you guys today. I kind of just chilled the entire time and I let Tom kind of go with it because Dan is Tom's coach. And so we had a great episode. I should do more of that and just not talk. Um, but yeah, it was good. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about um, self-belief and how important it is in lifters in general, but also identifying it in certain types of lifters and the kind of lifters that maybe need less self-belief. Um, potentially like myself, people who have been known to overshoot their RPEs frequently. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. All things training, communication. We are in the service industry and communication industry at the end of the day. So just some good conversations for, I guess, new coaches that are trying to get into it and also old coaches that may need to be reminded of this stuff. Dan is always great fun to have around to uh, people with very nice British accents talking about trading. What more could you possibly want? Find Dan on Instagram at Strength underscore fitness. Check out Tom at t.m.henderson. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, shoot me a DM on Instagram at saluji underscore a coaching inquiries and other such concerns coaching at multifariestrength.com all the stuff will be in the show notes as well and without further ado please enjoy the episode yeah this is probably going to be a fairly hands-off episode on my part i mean tom brought you on because he had some questions for you that i'm curious to know the answers to in terms of coaching and you know what you were able to do with tom and the other lifters on the meetup this weekend it's all let tom kind of explain the whole thing uh, but yeah, it's honestly, we're, it's a blast to have you on again. This will probably be the second episode that I don't edit. I will give up on editing elsewhere, so you have free, way, you have free reign. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, Tom obviously can't say enough good things about you. He's uh, he's very grateful to have you as his coach. And, you know, guys like you and Mahan are people that I have an immense amount of respect for because it, it, coaching is not just a job or a means of putting, you know, foot on the table, a roof over the house, a roof over the head, but it's really just a passion that you have. And you can see in the way that you interact with people in that, you know, your desire to legitimately help people and make them better far exceeds your desire to be wealthy. And I think that's something very admirable. And I have a lot of respect for that. So thank you again for coming on. Anytime, anytime. We always love these chats. So like, let's start with a question. And, and before we really dive into it let's talk about what you just said there like if you're coaching you're coaching people and you have to deal with a person in front of you it's not about numbers it's not about sets and reps it's not about that any of that at all that's that information is relevant what the person is the most relevant part of this puzzle because uh without the person be without it being tailored to the person it's pointless anyone can write a spreadsheet and give it to a person but if it doesn't match that person's psychology they're not going to go anywhere but you can identify what that person's weaknesses are whether it's mental physical or something else by watching them train and that's kind of the part of coaching as well that's why you coach an individual as opposed to you just train somebody like, and I got into this to help people. Um, 
wasn't to make shed loads of money. I never thought I was going to make shed loads of money from it. I'm not going to. But I want to help people and leave something behind that is exactly that, that is helping people. Anyway. It sort of ties into the um, the sort of prescriptism that Jordan uses quite early on in PSL 1, and it's one that sort of stuck with me sort of throughout was you you know you you program computers you coach people and also once you once you're done finishing sort of like writing up that first either like microcycle or mesocycle of training like that first block per se that's when that's when you actually start to coach because like you, you lay out the program and you say like this is what we're gonna do and then it's your responsibility as the coach. You don't just put it down and take your hands off. You, <laughs> you stick with them. You stick with them right through it. And um, sort of a testimony to you as well. It's like on a day to day, we are in touch. Like if something hasn't gone well, or so, I know something's not quite right going into a session, I know that I can contact you, and I know that you will do your best to make sure things you know, keep ticking over day by day and keep, at least if it's not, you know, if something's not going to work, at least it's something that's not going to work is not going to happen. Like yeah. We either make no. an elimination so we don't take backward steps or exactly. so we, even if we're making progress, no matter how small, we're still keeping on sort of pushing forward. Exactly. And it, it's playing the longevity game with you. You know, you've got to survive the season. And that's the main thing. Like for you, it's survival right now. Soon as we get to off season, yeah, we're gonna have so much fun. <laughs> well, as soon as we get into off season, my shoulder might finally be better. <laughs> well, you don't pick up another stinger on a week by week basis. <laughs> well, as things as things are going, I'm basically holding on to that survival train by its coattails, really, just being dragged along for the ride. I get told to play, and no matter what state my shoulder's in, I'm playing. Good job you have a physio on hand. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Very grateful for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so then sort of sort of curtailing off the back of the topic of coaching people sort of brings me on to the sort of smaller discussion we're having today that I wanted to sort of dig into on this call was about sort of the approach to the mental side of things because sort of evidently on the weekend you know you have an, ab- an abundance of <clears throat> excuse me very strong clients but those very strong clients also have you know issues with I guess getting through some mental barriers with their performance and yep. it'd be very interesting to sort of know sort of from the psychology side of things, how you go about tackling those issues. Um, and I'm very interested in it from a lifting point of view, because it's also something I've had to try and battle with from a sports performance point of view in, a, in team sports, not just sports performance. So is it an individual trying to sort of tackle big weight? Yeah. It's also going to be very interesting on this conversation with uh, Mr. Full Sand here as well <laughs> <laughs> because like people fall generally on a spectrum of like the Barry Big Bollocks all the time 
And if you load a bar with something, they will fucking do everything possible to pick it up because they don't believe they have a limit. Then you have the other people that not scared is the wrong word, but self-doubt creeps in before something happens. And a long time ago, I was taught that you could split things by gender. And I don't find that to be true anymore. It's less about gender. It's more about personality types. Because there's this notion that men send it and women don't believe in their own capabilities at all. And there is an element of that that is true, particularly when they're just starting out. But when... What we experienced at the weekend was three very different personality types that, ha- that encountered the same issue, which was self-belief, okay? We had one lifter who is far stronger than he, than he thinks he is, right? And he's constantly training the pocket. And you go and take a 3RM and you make him turn it into a set of 11. Now, I know he's going to take that into his next training week and he's going to feel like Barry Big Bollocks. But now, and this is where the coaching comes in, his program has to change because he's now going to be walking around like King of the Castle and God knows what's going to happen because you don't want to make him send it on week one because he's just done 150 for 11. Luckily, that personality type is not going to uh, just switch off straight away. But he needs to start believing in his own capabilities a little bit more and see his actual limits where he is. So that's where his program will evolve over time. He needs to know where he's up to to know he's going in the right direction. He doesn't need to train in the pocket. For most lifters, particularly the... I'm going to the ones that are more conscious of their performance, shall we say, which were the other two, okay? Now, looking at those two, if something doesn't go right in a training week, that doesn't just have an effect on that one day of training, right? It will lead to a downward spiral of self-doubt going into session after session after session. And that can take weeks to unpick because a person like that needs to build momentum and stay in the pocket all the time. That doesn't mean that they don't benefit from um, things like AMRAPs and really pushing themselves on sub-max work when they know that their intent is to do that. But the intent of the sessions, particularly when it, either it comes to peaking or even in the off-season, if you miss a rep, particularly for somebody who is less confident in their own ability, if they miss a rep, they start to doubt their own ability. And as soon as that thought process creeps in, it's very hard to stop. Now, if you write the train in a certain way, whereby they never miss, or it's very, very hard for them to miss, what happens is that lifter then becomes very, very confident very, very quickly. And we've seen that happen in the last four or five weeks. And for someone to walk into the gym and hit a PB and then three minutes later 
hit another PB on a squat, or to do bench after bench after bench after bench and be absolutely toasted and then go and do another one and come out of that session feeling cocky, even though they actually have missed a load, but they've moved all these different, they've moved all the significant load in situations that are less than ideal. So if you go into a gym and the bench is too low, it will affect performance. You go into, if you go into a, a, a gym and the bar is different, account for it and know that these things will affect the performance. And if you can show that athlete that these variables will affect their performance, they can start to take a less harsh out, harsh outlook on what they're doing. But the key principle there is you have to build momentum with that type of person. And that's male or female. And the only, and the only way you can, you'll get to grasp, you get to grasp, grasp, you'll get to grasps of what type of person in the first one to two weeks of coaching, to be honest, now it's probably about a week because you give someone a RPE or a at seven and you watch it back and it's like a nine and a half out of 10 or perhaps even 11 on a high handle trap bar, then you know that person is a send it person. So you never need to worry about that. But the problem with send it type individuals comes into the, comes into the program, right? And that's not, and it's, when I say the problem, it's not a problem, right? It's a programming consideration. How do you get somebody who is likely to just go all in on a set to not go all in? Putting constraints in the program that will mean that that person cannot send it is a great way to do it. Either set the load, set a tempo, all these different other things that can be used. Pre-fatigue it, give them time restriction, all that kind of shit. All fun stuff. It's horrible, but it'll work. Whereas if you give somebody like... Um, if, you give a, if you give a more conscious lifter a range, a range of weight plus an RPE, you can guarantee that nine times out of ten, they'll be in the mid to low range because they will not want to chance that top end range. They'll not want to miss. They'll not want to fail. And one thing that needs to be taught better is failing safely and that it's okay to fail. That it doesn't have, that it doesn't write off the drastic, that it doesn't write off the whole training cycle. There's a time and a place to fail. Sorry, that's a Labrador in the background kicking off. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, it's okay. We have nothing but love for Freya, so she can keep kicking <laughs> I would let her through, but she'd be a little shit. So we'll leave that. <laughs> we'll leave her in the kitchen to cause carnage. Bless her. Um, so how... When we talk about psychology of lifting, like, it's very much just analysing who that person is through conversation. Conversa like, communication is key, and it's far more than just like, Oh, how did the session go? It's understanding how does this person tick, and that's the that's part of the that's part and parcel of coaching people. Like I wouldn't coach you, Tom, the same as I would Carly. 
I wouldn't coach Carly the same as I would Denzel. Like, but part of, part of the coaching relationship, in my opinion, is that you should be, uh, you should be well aware, you should be well well informing the client that they are what they're doing is either not enough or it is not correct enough. But you should be their biggest hype person, and because you want them to believe in themselves as much as you believe in them. Hopefully that comes across as well in person a lot better than it does online. Um, I can attest that it definitely comes across very well, both online <laughs> and in person. Because I especially remember sort of a, a lot of our earlier interactions and even sort of more recent ones where, I mean, you know this, I'm a, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a frequent undershooter on pretty much everything. Um, yeah. And... I always sort of remember like your voice notes would come back. You're like, Oh, this looks really good. You're moving well, but this is not like a two RIR. This is like a four IRR or a five yeah. <laughs> or maybe even more reps in reserve than that. And, um, well, it's like, and- for example, when we had, when we had you do that one thirty five AMRAP and you just kept going, Right, and that's that's the point. Like, AMRAPs are a really good way for a send it lifter to get the send it opportunity, and a less co- and a not less confident because that's not the right word, but almost more conservative. More, yeah, that's a good way to put it. A more conservative lifter to know how to send it, because both both sides of the coin can learn from each other. Right. Knowing when and how to stay in the pocket and knowing when to let fucking loose. Um, Should you do one all the time? No. Because if you're always in the pocket, you never know where you're really up to. Because even RAR or RPE, it's all guesswork, isn't it? You know, you can say, oh, it's like undershooting. You know, without until you finish the set and you watch the video back, you have no idea how many reps you've got left. But even like if we go back to Denzel's set at the weekend, right? His 11 rep max was two in the tank. You watch his face. You watch his... You can see the cogs turning as he approaches the end of that set. And he's already finished. His descent speed has changed. His overall... Like... Fear isn't the right word, but fucking hell, that's suffering. Like, 11 reps of a squat is hard fucking work. But um, he now knows that his one rep max is not 180 kilos low bar. Categorically not. When he just hit a tempo high bar 180 single prior to this. Like, you've got to, at some point, you've got to put a dot on the map to know where you are. are, And that's where AMRAPs come in. Like, God help us all when some of the others start doing AMRAPs because I think I don't think the powerlifting world is ready for that, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting, especially just sort of how so, well, how even sort of in a small sample of lifters with relatively similar goals of 
just doing well at the next meet essentially more or less like just to generalize how different sort of mentalities to training could come into it and I think like you said earlier it's very much a sort of almost like a trait sort of characteristic thing where you're going to have people who are sort of more trait anxious around performance and so like getting to a heightened state of arousal for them might be a bit more difficult and they might find it so much harder just to inherently get out of pocket Um, so also like even the even the arousal stuff and no matter the state of arousal like you could have a serious hype person but they will still stay in the pocket because even in the minutes leading up to if they're training on their own in the minutes leading up to the set they've had to load the bar so they've had to come to a decision there. How strong am I really? And if that comes down to them, they will undersell themselves. Because unlike I've seen it happen with myself, I've seen it happen with other lifters, whereby they load the bar and there's more weight to be had that day. But they only load what they know they can load. So they're staying in the pocket but they're staying in the pocket of the pocket already. Does that make sense? Yeah. They've already got sort of this external constraint of where they think their limit is. Yep. They have to hit a certain set with it within their capabilities or perceived capabilities. Yep. So they essentially underload from what they perceive to be their max, which is actually way off. Yeah, exactly. And if that goes unchecked, if they undersell themselves consistently, and continue to undersell themselves, the only thing that happens is is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and they only get as strong as they believe they can be. A coach's responsibility as well, like I'm all for um, the ethics of coaching in terms of not make, not giving people unrealistic goals. Right? That's fine. That's great. That's common practice. That's fine. That's not turning around and telling... Um, Turning around and telling Saluji he's going to be a you know a ballerina. It's not it's not turning around and saying to you Tom you're going to be a elite marathon runner. Fuck me, don't get me wrong, you both could be, but it would be a terrible decision. <laughs> I've seen oh, you personally. You definitely what? could be a ballerina, Saluji. <laughs> well, no, it looked great in a tutu though. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> So, like, from a, uh, a, a training point of view, back to, like, what we're talking about, was that even though from an ethics point of view you don't want to give people unrealistic goals, you also don't want to be setting themselves these comfortable ceilings. People are comfortable enough as it is. They're like, mm, maybe I don't want to push that a little bit further. No, fucking do it. Let's go. I believe you can do it. Right? Make them believe in themselves more than they do right now. People come to the gym all the time with maybe not the best self-esteem in the world. Maybe they're not as confident. You don't know what that person has been through going to this point in their lives. Fuck me. I do not want to be the type of person to turn around to anyone and say, no, we can't do that. I don't think we can do that. Let's just stay a little bit in the pocket and see where we end up. No, let's fucking try as hard as we can to get you as close as damn it to what you want. Who am I to tell you what your limits are? 
Yeah, and I guess realistically, as long as you keep pushing forward and just striving for progress, then you ne- you're never really going to know quite where your limits are as long as you just keep striving to do that little bit better every time, really. And, exactly. and also, keep like, pushing it, your limits. It's, ju- it's eventually you come to the realisation as well that you just want to be a better version of yourself. And that takes time to come to that position. And it no, no longer matters what anybody else is fucking doing anyway. So, yeah, from a psychology point of view, from a coaching point of view, address the individual. Figure out whether that's a more conservative lifter or not, in some cases. Um, and program accordingly. Make sure you know how to keep them in the pocket. Make sure when you make that person send it. Like, if I was to give a... Say, for example, if I, if I had Saluji for a three-week wave, right? If he didn't get to send it, he'd be bored out of his mind. Right? So, what do you do? So, you create, a, you create a program that allows him to send it, but not on everything all the time. So, you might have... Three, you might have a rolling rotation of three work, three lower body workouts. And you rotate between these workouts and you send one movement per workout. These workouts are spaced far enough apart that he cannot fuck himself up. Right? That's just one strategy you can use. So we sort of covered how how you approach it sort of on the training side of things and the prep side of things, how does as sort of, how do you manage those sort of different personalities and people, you know, those people who want to stay in the pocket when it actually comes down to the meat and potatoes to the actual like meat days themselves, um, sort of handling people and, you know, obviously like selecting attempts and just your personal sort of interactions and coaching on the day. Okay, so um, from my coaching point of view on the de- on comp day, my job as a coach and a handler is to put you in the right position to tell you to go and fucking do something. Any decisions outside of that, unless you're a really well-informed athlete, are not yours. I don't want you to have to think about anything else. The whole process of the first few powerlifting meets is stressful enough in any way. Like, thinking about, I've had lifters turn up to competitions without half a kit. So it's like, right, let's just take, remove any possibility you can fuck this up out of the situation and let's not give you any decisions to make, right? We will come to a mutual decision earlier in the week about what your openers are going to be. Realistically speaking, I'll have made that decision weeks prior anyway. But for like a... This sounds this sounds horrible, but we will have made that decision what your opener is going to be weeks prior without you knowing. And we'll make it look like it's a decision you're making. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea for an attempt. No, because you've done like oodles of triples at it. You've done it as back off work. You've done it in the middle of a week when you're full of fatigue. You're absolutely fucking fine by the time you've tapered. Obviously, we'll make adjustments on the day based on how you're warming up. So, again, there's no decisions to be made by you. It's down to my eye and my personal judgment. Now, once it gets to comp and you actually, and you've weighed in, you've you've given them your openings, you start warming up, 
Once you've done your first attempt, it's plain sailing. It's fucking easy. I'm looking at the numbers. I know what you, what you, where your project is going to be. Okay. From there, you've got a second attempt, three versions of that. First one went to shit. First one was okay. First one was great. And that branches off again into three other branches. So by the time you get to comp day and you're just there to go and lift and do and have some fun, right? You know, unless it's a money meet, which, you know, they're few and far between. But if you're there to compete, you want to go and have some fun. You want to go and do the best you can. You want to focus on doing the task at hand, just squatting whatever weight is on that bar, benching whatever weight is on the bar and picking that deadlift up. So remove any decision-making, any other thought process. All you got to do is think about your cues and what you have to do. So from a decision, from a hand, from a meat handling point of view, it's point, aim the athlete, get them to do what they need, what they need to do. I'll make the calls. I will confer with you if I think it needs to. Like a higher level athlete, right? If I'm not going to, I'm going to use the same approach for this person because they're a much higher level athlete, or they are more, or even if it's a much more cognitive, cognizant athlete of what is going on like they know how they feel some lifters have no idea what's going on they don't know their arse from their elbow when it comes to competition day so you just point aim i'll make the decision more cognizant athletes i'll have a conversation with but ultimately the decision doesn't come to them particularly if they're a more conservative athlete they'll go, oh but, but 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 no look at the bar speed look at your bar speed do not tell like deadlifts are a perfect example Saluji, so, you'll know this. Like, have you ever gone to pick up a deadlift and it's moved really, really slowly? Or you feel like it's moved really, really slowly? And then when you watch the video back, it's actually, well, that was fucking fast. Well, at least faster than you felt it was, yeah? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, like, Not often, but it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the thing, is that you, you have to having the, the thought process that, oh, well, I'm going to judge bar speed. Well, don't judge it in real time. You're too busy thinking about your bar speed, not doing the thing you're trying to do. Think about what you're trying to do at the time and review the footage afterwards to determine your bar speed. Is it adequate or not? Do I go higher? Do I go middle of the, route, middle of the road or do I go low? Comp days are fun, but they're super easy and people make far too much of a fuss out of it. You should know within five kilos what you should be able to do on the day. Yeah. Unless you're very big bollocks and you've gone unchecked for the last four weeks. I think sounds... if somebody who's like that, maybe. <laughs> uh, it's one of the things I actually really I actually really like about strongman as well. It's like it's a predetermined load. You have no control over it. You just have to go and do it. And it's yeah. like, and it's almost like if you can bring that same sort of lack of choice almost to an athlete and basically just say to them, like, your, the your, go your goal is to execute. I'm not going to, like, this is well within your limits, like, in yeah. terms of, like, you have the capability to do this. Yeah. I don't want to say, not necessarily well within, because well within implies that it's 
far from know. the edges. But oh yeah, hmm. I'd know a lot about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, That's a really good way to put it, right? It's the athlete's job is to execute on the day. The coach's job is to put the athlete in the best position possible to do what they're best at doing on any given day. And that's the same for training as well, right? I'm not going to prescribe training 12 weeks out that I don't think that person can do. I'm not going to prescribe, I'm not going to ask anybody to go and lift anything I don't think they would do. Even when it comes to exercise selection in, in training or whether it's for gen pop clients as well, like I'm never going to ask a client to do something I wouldn't do myself. If I, if I look at an exercise and I think that looks fucking insane, I would never do that in a million years. It looks too hard. I'm not going to give it. If I can't put my money where my mouth is and do that, then I'm not doing it. Then I'm not going to get them to do it either. It's the same thing, right? If you can point the athlete to do its job, which is execute, you've done your job. Your job is to go and do the thing. Like on a rugby pitch, right? You don't see them like cueing your hooking drills, do you, from the sidelines? They just point you, go and do your job. Yeah? Yeah, I was going to touch on that. It's almost like, it's, it's sort of exactly how you said, you know, also you being my coach, it's you prescribe me sessions to better my performance on the pitch. But when it comes to my like competition to go and execute, you're not the one there on the sideline, like yelling at me to do this and that better on the rugby pitch. You're just like, you just basically say you're fit and strong enough. Go and play. Yeah. I, I'm not a rugby coach. Right. My job is to make you stronger and to make sure you do not fall apart in season. And, like you that. Know. <laughs> Already falling apart, mate. <laughs> hey, I cannot stop a prop running through you. <laughs> Didn't run through me. I just want to clarify. I got shotted by someone whilst I was carrying the ball. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, cool. just a disclaimer, my injury was completely out of Dan's control. <laughs> and is still a wonderful coach. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> He's the best. He's the best coach I've ever had. Thank you. <laughs> is there any other points you want to add on? Or I think it pretty much comes down to like you've got to coach the individual. Like and the plan, whatever it's comp day, whether it's training plan, whatever it's going to be, you've got to set it up in such a way that the athlete can execute to their personality type and that, that athlete can perform to the best of their capabilities depending on what their brain is going to allow them to do. But at some point, both sides of the coin, whether they're a send-it type or a, conservative, or a conservative lifter, they both have to get uncomfortable and do the opposite of what they should, what they want to do instinctively. At some point, you've got to send it. At some point, you've got to stay in the pocket. And coaching the, coaching the individual means you have to know how to plan for that and give them just enough to keep them motivated while also giving them enough to get them better. Enough of one thing that makes them better while enough of the other that keeps them motivated. Yeah, that's cool. That lends itself to the, to like the, my rudimentary understanding of, like the skill acquisition of like defense and offense. It's 
Yeah, that's super interesting. And at the end of the day, like this returns to the basis of our entire profession, which is just communication with people and how effectively you can do that. Like I yeah. saw I saw a post, I think, earlier today. It was like a reel that someone did where they were like, all right, if you're new to the gym, ask some questions in the comments and people who are more experienced will answer them for you. I thought that was cool. Like that was really like the first legitimately constructive use of reels that I've seen maybe ever. And so I was like, okay, this seems like a like an interesting thing. And like I, the comments are pretty positive. You know, like newbies are like, I'm 12 years old. I'm six foot and a hundred pounds. What should I do? And I was, I was like, eat, eat. But it's, it's, it's interesting to like, to, you know, to see all the, to see people that, that try to, you know, give these recommendations and, you know, oh, do this, do that so quickly without understanding anything about the person where it just really, it really, it really puts into greater clarity or starkness the, the necessity of communicating with people, understanding who you're dealing with before you just yeah. give these blanket statements or these blanket recommendations. Like it's, it's, it would be like turning around to somebody and just saying, do you know what? German volume training is the one for you. What? Fuck off. No. Not the one for anyone. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> or better yet, Smolov. That's a great idea. No. Don't go searching for Smolov. Uh, Fucking no. stupid. Like... Yeah, it cookie cutter things don't really work until you've had a until you have an understanding. Like training isn't really that different from person to person. Like, the minutia matter, but don't be going and giving willy nilly advice to random people. Like also, who the fuck six foot one at twelve year old, twelve years old? There's some some wild people on the internet. Was one guy asked a question? He was like. If I do a light cycling day at 50 kilometers on my rest day, is that okay? I was like, that is not a rest day. <laughs> you need a rest day for your rest day. Who cycles 50 kilometers <laughs> for a rest day? Oh. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Uh, yeah, dude, thank you for hopping on. Uh, where can people find you on Instagram and, uh, and stuff for coaching? So, find me at casting strength underscore fitness. Um, and yeah we'll have uh, more of these chats again soon I'm sure awesome thank you again alright thank you for tuning in to the Multifarious Podcast we hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you did please do share tag us on Instagram that whole thing at the Multifarious Podcast tag whoever the guest was and tag myself and Tom at Saluji underscore A and T.M.Henderson Thank you again for the listen and please enjoy the rest of your day.